So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Wednesday edition on May 22nd, 2013 of Everyday Connection. I'm Rico Shields, and right over yonder, we have Jane Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jane? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm um, trying to figure out if I've really damaged my tripod or not. I <laughs> Yes, I did. I, I, I heard. I think I broke my tripod, right? moments before we went on the air yeah it's my mini portable one and and as everybody knows um we're introducing shauna to the show tomorrow night and um we've already lined up shauna's first um first video quote unquote um interview for stranger connections and uh we're gonna be using two cameras and so we need a tripod and i was kind of playing with mine and i and Mm. Have you ever seen those people that pop, that do um, yeah. bone bending and popping? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the sound that the leg on it is making every time I move oh, it. So I'm kind of hoping that yeah, I, yeah. Um, unless my tripod is suddenly decided it wants to be a dancer, um, we'll see. Though I hope it it's not. I don't want to drop the camera. Is my thing. Well, maybe it course, just knows obviously. that it's going to be making really cool videos because it's going to be making. Connection right. videos so, for of course. everyday connection. So it wants to be, be cool, cool yeah. and be a dancing yeah. tripod. Uh, sure, a dancing tripod. Absolutely. Oh, See, a random weirdness. Yeah, we wandered off into the woo. Wandered off into the woo. Into the woo. Yeah, the woo. Yes. What woo. happened on the way to the, the radio week. show? The I week. stepped in some woo, but <clears throat> <sighs> ooh, did you get it on you? Oh. Boom, boom. See, he uh, never has that ready, guys. I ugh. so sad. When you actually do make it funny, yeah. See, you're always right. What is up with that? I, well, because I never what know when I'm going to say that? something. That's that's going to be one of the blessings of having Shauna along is because I'll say something and she'll cringe as she clicks on Bumpum, and right because, because she's going to at least have control of the board. She's at least going to run awesome. the part of the time, if not all the time, uh, because soon I'm not going to have necessarily the super wizardry setup of the Houston studio anymore. Uh, that's one reason I took that picture I posted of me with, you know, cheers from the Everyday Connection Houston Studios because they may not be much longer, the Houston Studios. Mm-hmm. It'll be the... All right, Costa Rican Studios are so much better, though. So Jungle Studios, uh, you know. Jungle Studios, absolutely. Everyday Connection, George, straight, directly from Jungle. It's got a great... Uh-huh. Because George just has almost every time I think about it, 
I hear George the Jungle. Yeah. No. George George of the Jungle. I'm I, sorry. In my head. And <laughs> and you know, I know Ew. George is just laughing his tail off and and several yes, listeners actually. have actually contacted me and expressed concern about me taking my little dog Molly to the jungle because. I like to talk about how Molly likes to pounce on all the insects around here, and several of them have pointed out that's not wise in Costa Rica. And uh, so I actually did contact one of our animal communicator friends, and, and they've had a chat. And <clears throat> Molly, of course, is right up on the whole thing. It's like, the bugs down there are as big as my head. I'm not going to jump on them. I'll be scared. Well, I- <laughs> I just tell people to go to our video um, log thing and, and, you know, really, honestly, guys, the bugs really aren't that scary. Yeah, they're big, but contrary to popular belief, they're not out to get ya. It just so, makes them easier stop. to pet. Yeah. <laughs> right? We, we stop have, by YouTube. Check out Bugging Out in Costa Rica. And, yeah. um See what Jane, you can do with really big bug bugs that aren't scared is, of anything. Is petting the bugs and... and uh, it was her idea. Absolutely. Nobody dared her or anything. She she just did it all by herself. Just, they were really cute, and I wanted to say hi. Um, but it is true. Stop being scared of nature. They, they have Please the big stop scared of nature. Oh yeah, they they have the big uh, oh the big green praying mantises, and they are they're yes. about as big as Molly's head. So I don't think she's. Yes. And besides, she messed with one praying mantis here, and it popped her in the nose, and she never messed with it again. So she's probably already got that figured out. <laughs> Animals are pretty smart. She'll be fine. Stop worrying, people. We don't like that. All right. So. Well, I just wanted to, you know, assure everyone. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, yes, moving on from the patient's test. This is fun because the, the patient's test an hour earlier in in Central Time, it ends at six oh six instead of seven oh six. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, we're really excited about our guest tonight. Um, uh, I can totally. tell you, uh, it's obviously a recording and uh, interview veteran because had absolutely no problem with the fact that we talked right up to the countdown and then just all stopped. <clears throat> a lot of our first-time guests, they giggle or they try to talk. They don't know what to do. And our, this evening's guest yeah. was just fine with that. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, quiet. Here well, comes the tape. Um, yeah. Because we have musician, uh, philanthropist, and all-around cool guy, Brian O'Neill, with us tonight. How are you, Brian? I'm doing really good, Rick. Rick and Jane? You know, I, I want to comment, uh, Rick, you said uh, over yonder when you first came on. So uh, where are you from? Because <laughs> I haven't heard that word in so long. You know, I travel the country quite often. It seems like whenever the further south I get, the, the more I hear that, uh, that word yonder, over yonder. Yeah, I'm in Houston. Texas and uh, oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> and uh, uh, actually, used to say, you know, off to my left and a little of the front. And I, finally, Gene made me look up how far. And now I've thrown away the post-it note with the distance, so I just say over yonder, over there. <clears throat> oh, that's funny. Well, I've got this new uh, fancy iPhone deal, so you know when you guys were uh, chatting it up. I was giggling over here, but there's a button here that says mute, so you can't hear me, and I heard you guys. So uh, good thing for that, because I would have been laughing along right, right along with you. 
Oh yeah, but I noticed. It's good. Yeah, we it like giggles. We, we love we love giggles. I giggle all the time. Um, but I noticed we were just chatting along, and and Sally, our computerized uh, producer, I, I guess, just comes on us. Your show will go live in five, four, and we all just shut up, and it was cool. Yeah, some some uh, guests get wonky on that, but yeah. Um, they do. So before we get too far into the banter, because we're going to have a whole 90 minutes of it, which is cool, because I bet you you have a story and a half to tell. Um, yeah. Just for the sake of our listeners who have no idea who you are, um, Brian O'Neill. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who on earth are you, and what do you do? What do I do? Oh, man, I do so many things. Uh, well, actually, just a couple things, but it seems like so many because I'm always busy. So I would say... Uh, uh, my main thing would be being a musician. That's kind of from from birth. Uh, started out as a drummer as a little baby, and then I made it to junior high school as like the drummer. And uh, by the time I reached high school, I switched over to piano by accident and realized that was my true calling. And uh, in between, I've learned all the other instruments, but I I focus on piano. I guess you can say I'm trying to master the piano. Um, Right after high school, let's see, I was a computer nerd. I got off into the whole uh, computer 1000, Tandy 1000 computers when they came out in 1985, and uh, became a software engineer. And I did software engineering for about 22 years, along with being a you know full-time musician. And somewhere in that time frame, uh, this humanitarian thing kind of came out kind of seep through my skin. I, I got to blame that on my late grandmother, Daisy O'Neill. Uh, I've always watched her as a young kid to uh, help people you know, in the area, in the, in the neighborhood, and I'd always uh, ask her, you know, Grams, why are you helping that person? We don't know who that person is. And she always said the same thing. That person is a human being, too, and all humans need help. And I guess when she passed away about 10 years ago, that just rung in my ears every day, and uh, I felt like I had to really do something. Therefore, I started a nonprofit called Do Foundation, and that's what we're all about. We're out there helping uh, uh, people that are um, at risk of homelessness or homeless and poverty-stricken people. So So when you say that she passed 10 years ago, it was really more she passed the baton as well as Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that, yeah, that's it. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Left it ringing in your ears. <laughs> yeah, she did. And to this day, I still hear her voice in my head, you know, as I'm helping people. You know, this is exactly what she'd be doing. But it's it's really odd that uh, as large as my family is, she's the only person that, that did that. So it's not much support from the rest of my family. They actually kind of talk me out of things. I mean, they, they think it's cool that I help other people, but it's I hear comments like, well, Brian, you need to help yourself first, and, you know, you can't afford to put all your money into these couple of families that you're trying to house when you need to, you know, get some other things going or you need to save this and you want a big grand piano. That's, I know it's like 25 grand, so why don't you use that, you know? So I kind of bicker with them, but uh, I don't know. They'll, they'll wake up one day and kind of understand, you know, the true meaning of being a humanitarian, you know, what it really feels like. Mm. Well, it's absolutely um, true. Self-first is not selfish because in order to take care of others, we need to take care of ourselves. But at the same time, I must remind everybody listening that 
the more that we give to this amazing, incredible world of ours, the more is given back. And we who take care of others are always, always taken care of. That is true. I share your troubles, sir. I have had to fight that battle with the remainder of my family for a long time. And And your brother um, got the baton from your grandmother, too. I did about 10 years ago, oddly enough. Um, Interesting that that, yes, my grandmother passed the baton to me approximately 10 years ago as well. And her passing was my door opening as well. So I understand and we also share a birthday. I didn't know if you knew that, but um I was born I was born exactly ten years after you. <laughs> oh. Okay. So <laughs> you're a young one. <laughs> yeah. I'm still a baby. Um but I get I get that sometimes family doesn't get it. Sometimes I I remember my grandmother telling me before she passed away, her last instructions to me were, the family is going to try to tell you to do a whole bunch of different things. Go back to school, do this with your life, do that with your life. She said, and I know that you've kept your mouth shut for years out of respect for me. After I am gone, you have my permission to tell them all to stick it up there. And then... There's <laughs> quite a, quite a so lady, your grandmother. I and, and it's totally my grandmother. Now, and she so gave I you did, a game. I, I didn't know we were going here, but you know how George is about these parallels. She gave you a game when you were young. That, Right? A, 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 thing that, a saying to remember? Or a oh, no, that was my aunt. Oh, that, that was, was your aunt. aunt. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Because that I was, was going to say, Brian's grandmother must be quite a being, too, because she not only yeah. gave you this humanitarian baton, she gave you the piano, too, didn't she? Uh, when you suddenly yeah, switched you know, gears in midstream to, from drums and things to piano? Yeah, but, you know, I didn't find that out until much later, uh, after her passing. Uh, I don't know how the family or my grandmother kept this from me, but as a kid, Really, she was the only person in my corner as far as being a musician. You know, six, seven years old, I'm playing drums, taking drum lessons. Everything was drums. I didn't, no sports, no girls, no nothing. I practiced my drums, but she was the only person that always said, honey, you keep practicing. You sound great. You keep going. Don't let anyone get in your way. No one else in the family would, would encourage me to practice and, you know, to look forward in life as a, this this big rock drummer or whatever kind of drummer I wanted to be. No one ever said that except my grandmother. So once I switched to piano, she kind of stayed, you know, the same, like, oh, baby, if you want to play piano, you play it very well, you practice, and you'd be good, be as good as you want to be, don't let anyone get in your way. Well, after she passed, maybe five, four or five years after she passed, I I found out that my grandmother played piano and organ for church all of her life. How no one told me that was just, that blew me away. Totally blew me away. So, yeah, I have to give her... Uh, the credit for really truly supporting me in music, you know, as as a young person, uh, when no one else would. Actually, everyone else, kind of like you, Jane, uh, the rest of my family tried to talk me out of music. And they went as yeah, far and- as taking my instruments away from me at times, as in I'd be at school or at work. My parents would have like a massive garage sale, and they'd sell all my instruments. They've done that a couple of times. 
See, and that, that's so. been my experience with, with most of my family as well, um, that, you know, it was always about the career and the money and the income, and you got to do this with your life, and you got to make something of yourself, and you got to blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. And all my grandmother knew was that I was an artistic, creative creature, and she was proud of me, and, and she didn't really care if I had succeeded yet in everything right. that I wanted to do because she was absolutely convinced that I would. And so her, in, in her eyes, one of the last things she said to me was she was proud of me and I have lived every single day of my life since her passing mm-hmm. working hard to live up to that because that's what she left me with. I wasn't I wasn't doing the radio show. I hadn't written a novel yet. I hadn't really done anything with my life and with my creative part of my life yet and yet she still left me with that I'm proud of you not because of what you've accomplished because of the person that you are and I think that that speaks a lot to when we talk about raising children and and how we raise our young people and how we encourage our young people that speaks a lot to that is that it doesn't matter what you envision for their future if you can embrace them for who they are they will be a success and they will contribute to this amazing world that we live in. But you have to have faith in them so that they can find faith in themselves. That's right. your role. To me, as a yeah. parent, that's my role. Teach my daughter to believe in herself so that she can find herself and do something great. Right. Well, that's success. It's not my right job there. to tell her what. Yeah, a lot of people define this success differently, but, <clears throat> but the majority of people think, you know, if you're in a arts and entertainment success was big and famous, you know, and rich. Uh, early on, my grandmother taught me what success was. And success, in, in my opinion, and what I try to teach my kids and my friends and family, success is doing whatever makes you most happy. You're successful. You know, you if you're going to try to put a price tag on it, like, you, you know, you got to be a millionaire to be successful, or, if, you know, if you're going to be a software engineer, you have to make it to upper management, making 200 grand a year. That's success. Um, that is not. If you if you really stop, if you can stop the world clock and freeze everything and, and step outside of everything and look at what you're doing, even if you're not so-called you know quote unquote successful, and look at what you're doing at the moment, if you're actually touching computers and, and doing something that you really enjoy, um, to me by definition that is success. And there's really many successful people here, but I think they uh, they burn themselves out trying to climb corporate ladders, make X amount, you know, be super popular. Uh, when people talk to me nowadays, they, they say, Brian, you're pretty successful at what you're doing. You know, it's really great that you get to tour the country and you you got a successful nonprofit and all this other jazz. And I usually tell them, well, I was successful that around seven years old when my parents bought me a drum set <laughs> and I was able to stay home and not go outside. I can play my drums all day. I was successful. Uh, as far as my nonprofit, the, when I was working out of the back of my car and out of my house, just walking the streets and helping people, uh, when I came up with the name Do Foundation as an organization, at that moment it was successful. Not the fact that we have a large building and, and it will kind of spread across the country. You know, that's you can call that successful, but for me, it was the moment I realized that I could do that and help people. It was the moment that I played my drums I became successful. So it's uh, the it's all the relative. Moment that you stepped in, you stepped into the truth of your being and lived your passion. 
Right. That yeah. Moment that earlier. Successful. That's exactly yeah, and that's, that's it. And and wow, do we ever complicate it? You know, I mean, holy cow, we we complicate it in today's world sometimes. But some of the happiest people I know are people who have very little material wealth, yet they have an infinite abundance of energetic, emotional, joyful, creative wealth. Yes. And that, that to me, is living. It sure is. It sure is. When you can put yourself in any situation, any place on earth, no matter how bad it is, and you're okay, you're, to me, that's successful. That's that's a, a well-rounded individual. There's so many of my friends that, you know, because they live maybe in the bad parts of the city and they say there's not many opportunities and it sucks here, and then uh, they'll uproot and go someplace else, another company, and it's just as bad, and they're just grumpy all their lives because they keep going from bad place to bad place. And I tell them, you know, if you realize this, everywhere you go, you're taking yourself. <laughs> Wherever you are, that's where you are. You know, all the external things, they, they may come and go. They may be great. They may not be great, but you always have you. So if you're cool with you and you're happy with you, then you can go anywhere and be okay. And if you're not, you there's no place you can go that will make you okay. No. no, no place. No place in the universe. It's all those backwards you. things. We like to do stuff backwards, apparently, on Earth. Just smack backwards. <laughs> you know, I'll be happy when I get. And then there's an inventory list or something. Right, right. It looks like these celebrities' concert, you know, lists. In my dressing room, there will be three bottles of Perrier water at uh, 67 degrees. Uh, what? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Rick, I've seen some of these writers from some of the, the bigger-name artists. Oh, my gosh, the things that they ask for in their green rooms. It's like, And I've seen, uh, I've opened up for a few artists that are pretty big and saw or heard of their writer. And there was one artist, very big, uh, because she didn't have a certain brand of uh, mineral water in her green room, she refused to go on stage. So I think the runner had to go clear across town to get this particular water, bottled water. <laughs> and and probably was like 45 minutes late. Counted themselves lucky that somebody in town had the water. Yeah. That's but, you know, that's a, I really wish uh, like a, the promoter had gone on stage and announced that and said, you know what, this person here is late and not coming on stage because we didn't have her particular brand of bottled water. Therefore, would you like a refund? Would you like to continue buying her records? Or, you know, it, it's crazy. <laughs> Sometimes people are crazy. Yeah. But they, it, and, and we accept this as sane on our planet. They call the people who are fighting to be able to grow their own food in their front yards in downtown Manhattan nuts. And yet we celebrate people who won't go on stage because they don't have a particular brand of bottled water. Again, that's backwards because our concept of sanity on this planet is at times a tad confused in my eyes. No, I think that's an understatement. It's massively confusing and chaotic and simply dumb. (laughs) 
some things are just very dumb. They don't make sense. <laughs> and something I I just really have to call everybody's attention to is 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 when you said that you know as soon as you got your drum set and sat down and played them, you were successful. You became successful. As soon as you were passing stuff out of the back of your trunk of your car, it is the one thing you can go read all these books. And and they're all great. There's great books out there on how to be successful. But the really great ones that have stood the test of time, like Think and Grow Rich and all that, they all say the same thing. You you think it be it first. Then you can then you can have all the stuff, yeah. the trappings that go with it. And right. and really some of the trappings we think go with it aren't you know I I don't think I'd ever want paparazzi chasing me around. That would not be the oh, definition of success. Gracious. You know? Oh, no. Yeah, well, yeah, fame. That's definition of fame, yeah. I, I, would, I would still want to be able to go, you know, to the grocery store and not be harassed and followed and autographs every five seconds. You know, I would love a little popularity because it does help spread the message, whatever message that, you know, you have in life. But uh, like you said, Rick, the paparazzi following you, chasing you, cameras everywhere, you know, people want to touch you. They they kill themselves trying to get at you. That's that's a little overboard. Just a bit. It, it's um, it's crazy, but I do uh, I I do really believe that that we've got a whole generation coming on that kind of sees that and is like, really, and and we have had this, uh, and they've talked about it and called it. Various things, democratization of music, uh, uh, the way the internet has given artists and fans direct access to each other, um, and it, it's disruptive to the way that it's been done. But lots of things have been, you know. Mm-hmm. Video killed the radio star <laughs> was a song yeah. from like however long ago. Uh, I don't want to date myself, but. You know, I, at least I'm still the oldest one on the phone, so on the line, so um, barely. But it um, it just sort of is the way of things, and um, uh, and I think it's allowing a whole lot more people to follow that when they don't have anybody, or maybe just grandma, but grandma's far away or whatever, uh, to be able to find some other folks. Uh, that'll say, hey, that's really cool stuff. I like it. And uh, uh, because it it seems to me like it's uh, underestimated the value of that one comment. Uh, uh, I know you used to talk about going and getting a hug from mom. You know, that I was good for two weeks. I got a hug from mom, you know. Right. And uh, or grandma or you know, um, so keep that in mind, folks. When your you know kid is beating on the drums and you really are thinking, "Gosh, really, right now?" <laughs> <clears throat> Try not to be too My down on them. You know, yeah. um, that's what earplugs are for. Yeah, <laughs> or. Seriously. Or going outside, uh, or building them a spot in the garage, and there's got to be a way, you know, absolutely, uh, absolutely, and, uh, to give them a little room to breathe. 
Absolutely. Yeah, well, I give my folks tons of credit for putting up with all the noise that I that I made, even though they bickered my entire, well, the majority of my musical, young musical career. Uh, once I landed my first little record, and it went nationwide, and it was on the Weather Channel and some bunch of radio stations. Uh, out of the blue, my, my folks called me and said, oh, my God, son, we're so proud of you. We had no idea. We had no idea. We're so sorry. We didn't support you and this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. My mom broke out in tears. And on the whole time she's she's going through this over the phone, I'm thinking to myself, I really wish they had realized this when I was younger because I would probably be a lot further a lot sooner and it would have been much easier. But then again, I don't think my music would have been the same had they not been as hard on me and, and anti-music with me. And, and I was a different kid. You know, I, I took negative reinforcement and made it positive. For some reason, negative stuff just fueled me to want to do better. It's like, hey, like, Rick, you, you can't jump over that fence right there. And then when you hear that, you're like, oh, yes, I can. And then you're determined to do it. Right. That was me as a kid. Even if it takes me six months of practice, I'm going to get over that fence and I'm going to drag you over here and make you watch me jump it. <laughs> right. Just because, because that person believes a, that you can't do it. <laughs> there is a, a unique breed of people out there. And, and I think um, tomorrow is our 200th show. And every single person we've talked to who does this kind of work is one of those unique breeds of people who respond to challenges in life mm -hmm. with a I'm going to beat this kind of attitude. So if you have the parents who aren't supportive or, you know, who are um, verbally abusive or the alcoholic, or those, those unique breed of people, those are the ones who grow up to become the exact opposite. They're the ones right. who want to rescue the kids from those kind of homes. Um, you have the parents who don't want to support the athlete. Those are the kids who end up going to the Olympics because it it's something that kind of clicks in your mind. I remember the best teacher I ever had clued into that really early on in my life, and it didn't matter what I gave her. Everything I wrote for her was a B, a B. And so I saw her years later after publishing two books, and I had the card with me, and I was like, look what I did, and I gave her a copy of my book, and um, she said, yeah, I know. And I said, what do you mean you know? And she said, you never got it. And I said, yeah, no, I do. You kept pushing, because the harder she pushed, the more she told me I wasn't good enough, the more I was determined to prove her wrong. Right. And she said, yep. you were operating it, you know, down by your waist, and we knew you could reach the stars. So I just kept telling you you weren't good enough because I knew you. You're stubborn, and you were determined. And she said, look, what happened? And, but I haven't talked to a person on this show who doesn't have that attitude. They're the people that do things. They're the people that go out and see people who don't have something and find a way to get it to them. Right. Because it's not okay to just sit idly by and say that no. that's the way the world is. But it's not also, at the same time, it's also not okay for those unique individuals to sit there and whine and bitch and chew about it either. Because that doesn't change anything. No, it's it a waste of energy. It doesn't serve anybody. Exactly. So I'm going to use my talents, my skills, my energy, and my enthusiasm and my compassion 
my ability to tap in that within me that has been challenged to help these people get over their challenges. Right. Unique people. We need more of us, I guess, huh, Jane? (laughs) No, you know what? I'm finding doing this job that I do, that I love, and the reason I love it so much is because human beings as a whole are awesome. And so that unique breed of people that was few and far between maybe 10 years ago is out there in abundance these days. I can go out my back door and find one. Yeah, it's a unique breed I like to call them human beings and, and they're we just, cool we just get we just get busy pointing out to all of them how cool they are yeah. we even do it later we'll wait like six months and cut a clip out of somebody's show and make a video and they go wow did i say that <clears throat> because that we do smart. We, yeah. you know mm. you say things and you go wow did i say that that sounded smart um, but it, it does take a special person to take a challenge like that and 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 turn it around into something really positive. However, mm-hmm. I am finding, like I said, after doing this show for so long, that there are so many spe- special people out there. And I think it's because of people like you who do this, and you go out into the world and you give these people an opportunity and you tell them that they are worthy and that they do deserve to have, and you help provide, and that puts them back on their feet, and it gives them confidence, and then they, in turn, go out and do that for somebody else. Yeah, and I get asked that quite often, you know, from the guy that's sitting in the gutter or in the alley and drunk or uh, all messed up, dirty, smelly, haven't eaten in a few days, and, and as I reach down to help a person like that, quite often an individual would would look up at me and say, dude, why are you helping me? You know, who are you and why are you helping me? And I have the same answer for every person that I help. And it's it's simply it's because they're a human being. And <laughs> most times they don't know how to take that. Uh, but that's the bare bones, plain and simple answer. You're a human being. I can't let you be like this. You know, not when, you know, you're, you're actually in the gutter next to a, a $5 billion building and there's 100 people walking past you that are living okay. You know, you're a human being. That doesn't make sense. So, you know, the look in their eyes is, is pretty amazing, and that's actually my payment when they realize that, wow, there is a person that cares. You know, there's 100 people that passed me at lunch uh, that stepped over me or didn't didn't look at me, but here's this one guy that spotted me from across the road and re- rushed over and picked me up. You know, when they look at me and they smile or say thank you or Sometimes they say absolutely nothing. I I actually sense it. And to me, that's like, there's my payment. That felt good, just knowing that I helped this person. And what's even better, like when when I hit the lotto is when I help an individual and I, you know, we do case management with people that we help and keep track of. And, you know, weeks, months, years later, when we call them up and now they have a full-time job, a family, a car, and they're, they're completely on their feet, that's really like hitting the lotto. That's better than hitting the, the lotto. And that, you know, we've gotten quite a few success stories. And one of these days I'll, I don't know, find some video company that helped me document all this stuff. But we've got books and books, pages and pages worth of success stories. And uh, it's, there's no better feeling. And the, and the beauty of that is that now you've taken these individuals 
and you've assisted them in becoming contributing members of society who will now, like I said, turn around and do that for somebody else. Yes. Because yeah. Yeah, not the helpers just contributing in the world materially. are the ones, no, yeah, emotionally, um, energetically. In the sense of community, of we belong to Right. Right. Well, they right. simply just put, pay it forward. That's all I ask of most people. Once they're back on their feet, they they usually return back to do foundation or they'll contact me. It's like, Brian, how could I ever repay you? Can can I take you out to dinner? Can I send you some, you know, basketball tickets or anything like that? Can I donate a large sum of money to you? It's like, you can do any of those things, but I prefer you to, to just pay it forward. Remember the day that we met? Remember that feeling? Give that to someone else. So if we can get that ball rolling and paying it, you know, forward... The entire world would be so much better. <laughs> so oh, much better. A- absolutely, absolutely. It um, and there's actually uh, getting to be scientific evidence to support it. I think it was Dr. Wayne Dyer that quoted a, an experiment they did that the recipient of a random act of kindness had the serotonin in their brain went up, which is what all these antidepressant pills are for. They make the serotonin go up in your brain. So. A dose of antidepressant right there. And mm-hmm. um, then not only the recipient, but people that just saw it happen also had a serotonin increase. So it just really the ripples are almost endless when yeah. you give somebody that, just like the kid that you say, you know, hey, that's really cool. And they go on. Um because it just seems like more fun than if, you know, ah, you're terrible. Of course, you know, like I said, we kind of like a challenge. We're crazy that way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not really even sure which way to go. I was kind of leaning towards, we have three of your songs um, uh, uploaded to the board. And um, one of them's, uh, I haven't heard them. One of them's Room to Breathe Again. And um, it kind of seems... I don't know if that's the story behind the song, but the title corner sort of sounds to me like what you do for people. You give them room to breathe for a second, and then they just get up and go on. Yeah. Yeah, that's... You got it. <laughs> that That's that's uh, the bulk of what's behind that. Uh, and if you listen to the majority of my music, there there isn't um, many songs with lyrics and with singing. I try to express and say everything I need to say with the instruments. And uh, musicians understand it. And uh, another part of my job is trying to get people to appreciate music and the instruments and the notes and the the timing of songs. And the definition of the word uh, of song doesn't mean singing necessarily. And a lot of people know I'm a, I'm a jazz musician. Well, I call myself just a musician, but my past few CDs have been on the jazz side and uh, with no lyrics. And I try to tell them, you know, listen to this song, listen to that song. They'll listen to it and say, Brian, that's not a song. That's just an instrumental. It's like, well, no. If you listen closely, every instrument is saying something. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it, and it's too bad they got rid of uh, music appreciation and all that stuff. You know, and music class. School, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. kids nowadays, you know, if they don't hear anyone singing, they turn it off. 30 there seconds, words, I, don't, I don't hear any vocals, turn it off. How did it make you feel? What did it, you know... How was the experience of hearing it? But yeah, well, you know, again, I think some of the young ones are managing to figure that out on their own, despite yeah. 
whatever we might do or not do for them. Uh, so this would be room to breathe again. Uh, and uh, we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
All right, welcome back, everybody. That was Room to Breathe again. Everybody breathing out there, podcast listeners? I know some of you are jogging, so Always. you can't help but breathe. But it is a human thing. We get this, like you're going to get this juicy information or something. You get on the edge of your seat and you quit breathing. What's is that about? You know, it's like when you get scared, you, you jerk all in as tight and as small as you can get. If you look at an infant and you, scare, you surprise them, you scare them, they swing their arms wide and they take a deep breath. Yeah. That's fight or flight. This get as small as I can is a trained hide in the corner and maybe we won't hurt you response. <laughs> backwards. It's all backwards. It's, I Wow. Um, it's just craziness. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about the title of that, and I'm sure that Rick asked you before the the song came on. Um, unfortunately, I'm out in the mountains, so I have the occasional internet lapse of reason. Um, but I'm just <laughs> wondering, room to breathe again. Um, is that in any way connected to your work and the emotion that's around your work? I'd have to say every song, every piece of music that I've ever done is related to uh, the work that I'm doing now and, you know, the work that I've always wanted to do, which was help other people. You know, simply doing music, any style of music is helping people, universal universal language, um, you know, just to make music. It's entertaining. But I had a, a purpose early on in life, you know, when I sit and compose a piece of music. It started out with I wrote music for myself. You know, my attitude was I don't care if these guys think that I stink and I don't sound good. I mean, I'm enjoying this. It makes me feel good, even if it does sound bad. Uh, I guess over time, you know, the music got better. More and more people, outsiders, outside of the family would approach me and say, wow, that's really good. I, can I have a copy of that? And uh, by the time, you know, early 20s, I make my first CD, and, like, everyone wants it. So I knew I was on to something, and at that time I was still writing for myself, so-called. But then uh, my humanitarian efforts started to really seep out of my skin, and I started doing things intentionally to help people. And the reason or the purpose behind my music started to shift. It wasn't about me anymore. And I noticed I'd sit, you know, in my studio, and a song would come out, and I'll, I'll look back on it and say, wow, that, that kind of came for me, but that was because of, you know, an experience, being on the streets helping an individual or picturing, you know, helping some family that was living in a car. You know, I, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, you know, exactly where it comes from and why it comes that way. Uh, and like I said during the break, that musicians, they can understand certain things, certain phrases, you know, the particular key that you're in. You know, they all mean something. Usually when you're in minor keys, it's it's more of a sad, emotional state. When you're in a major key, it's more of a happy song. Well, a lot of my songs are in minor keys. And I think the reason behind that is because of the type of work that I do, the things that I have to see, you know, to help people, where I see them, where I find them, where I'm pulling them up from. So I uh, hope that answers the question. <laughs> well, it does, because, I, I mean... <sighs> Well, I had asked people right forget, before the, 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 think, the, the break. Isn't that what you? Isn't that what you kind of give people? Is a chance to take a breath, and then they just get up and go on. Uh, yeah, that's that's right on. Yeah, and, and you know that's 
that's the title of the song. And I, I sat down and actually, I think I started the piece without actually focusing on just that. It's helping people start off to breathe, you know, to ex- exhale and, you know, get moving. Halfway through the song when it's close to being finished, and, I, you know, as I write stuff, I'll play it over and play it over and listen to it and say, is there something missing? Is there something else I need to say in here? And at one point in that song, it's like, no, there's nothing else I need to say. And, and part of the title came from the, the piano solo that was in there. I actually did that piano solo frantically. I, I believe I was running out of time. Uh, uh, I think my friends were like, come on, man, we're going out to dinner. We've got reservations. We're all out here waiting for you. It's like, hold on, hold on. I think the song is done. I just want to throw in this quick piano solo. It'll be simple. Just give me a minute. But I did it so fast that I actually found myself at the end of it like, okay, I'm done. Okay, all right, Brian, breathe. Calm down. All right, go to dinner. And then while I was at dinner, then it was like, hmm, I, I needed some room to breathe. I was breathing heavy, uh, room to breathe, room to breathe, and it stuck. And there you have it. There's the title to that song. But, it, you know, while writing it, it, it was about helping other people, you know, deep down inside. That's how that title came along. Well, because I and and that's the thing. I think people forget that um, the creators out there, and there's so many of them. When we talk about creativity, we, we're not just talking about the artists and the musicians and the singers and the dancers. We're also talking about those mechanics and computer programmers and and yes, the gamers too. Um, out there who you know are in creative mode, but that is um that is an intricate part of who they are. you know what I mean like it's it's interwoven into everything that they do, and right. I apologize for the phone it is a new schedule, apparently, our family does not know that uh it's a show night, so they're somebody's calling and I forgot to turn the phone off so I apologize for that um, but it, it's interwoven into everything you do and the other thing that I've noticed is that with with charity workers um, that's also interwoven into everything that they do so and and you can't really separate the two no, do you know what I mean like, yeah it's, it's impossible they're both part of who you are. A dancer is always going to be a dancer. You will know them because they're the one dancing through the food oil, through the food aisle, at the, you know, the fruit and vegetables department right. of the grocery store because mm-hmm. something groovy's on on the speakers. It, that's a dancer. They're always going to dance. A mm-hmm. helper is always going to help. A writer is always going to pick up a pen in the middle of a restaurant and scribble a note because they thought of something cool and they want write it down um or a musician you know just a minute i'm gonna finish music. this <laughs> yeah but I, that i've experienced that aspect, with you <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i do that to you all the time i'm sorry but that frantic element to that particular song really kind of interweaves into what you do because part of living we have these frantic desperate I'm running out of time moments in our lives mm-hmm. so yes. often. You know what I mean? So I I want people to understand that that creative, that, that creative element uh, that derives 
the creators out there. It's it's who they are. They live and they breathe it. And and so it's you know if that's you out there listening and and you're wondering what you're supposed to be doing with your life, whatever it is that you have to stop everything else and nothing else matters so that you can finish this one thing because it's making you tick and it's got your attention and you're really passionate. That's it. Go with that. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize, you know, some of their natural talents and, and, you know, what they should be doing in life. They already have all the tools. It's It's already in them and they end up going in another direction because of, you know, it's more money or it's a more popular career uh, but it's with some folks it's pretty obvious like their natural talents, but you know, because it doesn't make them a lot of money, they'll set it aside and do something different. I think that's kinda of sad, kind of a waste. Uh, you know, when people don't recognize what they have. But I recognize that early on in life, so I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I, I try to teach my kids that uh well when they were born, when they were young, uh, I always told them, Honey, whatever you want to do in life, that's what you do. If it makes you happy, I don't care if it's you want to be a professional hole digger. <laughs> be the best one. If that's making you happy, your dad is 100% behind you. And don't let anyone else talk you out of it. Don't let your friends say, oh, man, that sucks. You don't make any money or you got to do this, you got to do that. You know. And my kids, they, they get it. You know, I started conditioning them that way of thinking early on in life. So they're all doing what makes them happy. So I've got some and that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome because people – People have done that to me all my life. I, when I left serving tables to write books and to do this show, mm-hmm. every single person I've ever told in the last like three years, except for maybe three or four very special individuals, <laughs> have all asked me the same question when I tell them I'm not author. Oh, you can make money doing that? Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't know. Well, I don't be my care. One. I change yeah. lives. I touch hearts. Here, I don't. Here's care. the one that I heard all my all my life. I heard this one when I as a kid. They say, "Oh, so kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a musician. Oh boy. Oh, you're going to be one of those starving artists, huh? It's like, oh, you're just, you're just not going to eat well. You might want to do something else, but you know, unless you're big and famous, you're just not going to make it, kid. And what people don't realize is that there's, you know, being a musician doesn't mean a performing artist. Uh, the guys that make the most money are the guys that sit at home and they write these songs for these artists. They write songs for music, for uh, TV shows and for movies. You don't know their names. You can bump into the guy at at the grocery store, and he could be a multimillionaire, but he's the dude that wrote all the music for, you know, like Breaking Bad. <laughs> you know, the, the music career is so wide open, and there's so many different levels of music you can be in that, you know, you've got a decent income. And besides the income, you know, I think everyone that's in the music industry is totally happy because they're doing what they always wanted to do, what's built in them. You know, what and that's exactly it. That's um, always, always my answer now is when people ask me that question, I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I'm happy. I love yeah. what I do. I yeah. talk to amazing people from around the world three times a week on the radio, mm-hmm. and I inspire people. I have no... I have the best job in the world. I get to tell human beings that they're awesome. I get mm-hmm. to love people for a living. That's what I do with my life. I yeah. love my job. And that feels so good. Do you love yours? Do you love yours? That's all I can ask them, you know? I yeah, and are you most happy people don't. when you go to work? 
No, most people aren't. And you can tell. Like, see, you had a nine-to-five job, and you're in rush hour, and you see all of these, uh, the road rage and these bullies driving around. They're disgruntled. Uh, it's because they're driving to work. If you can pull one of those individuals aside on the highway, you know, in rush hour, and say, I want to ask you one question. Are you happy? Are you enjoying going where you're going right now at 9 o'clock in the morning? And I think uh, some school had did a survey on this, but uh, it was like up to like 80, 80-something percent of the people who are in rush hour and, and, and today's, you know, corporate jobs and pay jobs are not happy. When you ask them, well, if you're not happy going to this job, why are you going? Oh, it's the money. Oh, i got a family. Oh, I've got bills. So you ask them another question. What is it that you've always wanted to do since you were a kid? Are you doing that today? And that answer was pretty much no, like an 80% of the people who go to work every day. To me, that is so sad. 80% of the people that are in rush hour going to their day jobs had no intentions since, since they were kids to have that type of job or that type of career. So what changed? You know, that's that's my question, and I haven't gotten an answer for that. You know, over time, what has changed? Why do people not do what makes them happy? It, it, it's it's a strange place that we got to of, you know, where you just, you got told. Uh, I remember when I, when I was a kid, it was one of the, things people found shocking about the Soviet Union was kids were measured and tested and then told what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a talent for this, you're going to go be that. And um, Or we need more of these, so you're going to be one of those. And But somehow we got to that same space, almost, of, you know, yeah, 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 I know you like to play play the drums, but there's no... You know, Business Week says that what we need are vets, airline mechanics, whatever the case may be, um, and and that's just so weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I one of my favorite I, quotes is from Harry Truman, and it's you know the best way to give advice to your children is to find out what they want to do and then advise them to do it. Right. There you go. Well. Okay. That was, you know, back people that and were I, like our parents. And but what happened? I remember happened? high school. I remember the the charts that they give you in grade eleven and twelve, and they tell you they give you a projection of in five years when you're done university, this particular job is going to be in high demand. And I remember them going through the whole. There's going to be room for these kinds of careers when you graduate in three or four years, and this is the salary, the projected salary that you will make. I mean, it's so well planned out, and yet, land of the free, home of the brave. I, You know, come on. Our education system is failing our young people, and yeah, okay, I'm Canadian, we're just as bad. This is not a bash America show. This is a, we here in North America have got to embrace our children's natural passions and talents and encourage them to pursue them and teach them that there are going to be people out there who want to be garbage collectors. Let them be garbage collectors. 
there are going to be people out there who want to be, you know, hole diggers. Let them dig holes. We need holes. Right. You know what I mean? And at the same time, where did this disgusting idea of starving artists come from? I despise, as an artist myself, that phrase, because it gets it into our head as artists, creators, musicians, that what we do is going to be challenging. It's going to rob us of the basic essential needs. We will have to sacrifice for our art. Where did that idea come from? That's a ridiculous idea. Our gifts are God-given. We are here to create, to bring joy, to bring light to people's lives. Why should we have to sacrifice in order to do that? That's just a silly notion to me, and I can't possibly fathom ever teaching my daughter that that's a truth or a reality. Yeah, you know, we need to, what you're saying, that message needs to be spread in a much bigger way. And uh, I think you're in the perfect position to do that. You're doing it now. You know, like you, I don't know how many your fan base of your station, but all of those people are going to hear what you just said. And hopefully you can influence them to spread that word, continue to spread that word. It, we have to make certain things viral. Certain messages have to be viral or, you know, we're just going to spiral out of control. You know, it's. I used to think, man, once I have kids, the world's going to really be messed up for them. They they won't have a chance if they want to be a musician or a hole digger or, you know, and not and not have people get in their way and talk them out of it, you know, just to fight the media. You know, I have a granddaughter. She's two years old. She doesn't watch much television, but some of her little friends and cousins, they watch TV, and they teach her all this crazy stuff that they're learning from TV. And it's almost impossible to keep your kids completely away from the media, but, man, it really becomes a battle. And we're we're having a hard time just keeping her level-headed. <laughs> you know, it's okay to, to watch the media and, and know what's what's in and what's out, what's the hot toy, what's the hot game, what's the hot song and hot video and hot cartoon. But at the same time, right. not so much of it to where it just removes your whole upbringing and teaching of the world is wide open. You can be and do anything you want to do, and there are no laws saying that you have to fit into a certain mold which is you got to have a good job, you got to have a good family, you know, white picket fence and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And if you want to live off the grid, hey, that's fine. <laughs> I'll help support that. <laughs> now, if you want to be just, if you want to do absolutely nothing, if that makes you happy, of course society looks at people like that as being lazy and not contributing. But you'll find some people who just, that's just them. They don't, there's nothing that they want to do but just, you know, roam around the world. different space and be peaceful. Yeah. Yeah, be right. peaceful. But, you know, as long as they have a good philosophy you know, in, imprinted on their brain and they're doing nothing, well, actually, they're not doing nothing. They're spreading good messages, you know, and I think for some people that are built that way, if you force them to get a job and that whole philosophy thing goes away, they become bitter. Those are the guys that turn into, like, serial killers and stuff like that. Um, I think there's room for everyone to be anything that they want to be. And, you know, the media and, and society should allow that. And it's it's pretty sad that, you know, you have to fight that. You have to fight that whole system. I agree. But you know what? The best way the best way that I find to fight it is to do it sim- simply by doing. Um, we do talk about this issue a lot on the show. But our reason for doing that is because we live what we talk about. I... Right. 
am a self-published artist, so I don't or author, so I don't have a big publishing company behind me cutting me checks. I, right. you know, I have to promote self-promote my work, but I encourage people to self-publish. I encourage this independent move towards publishing your own music um, right. and and writing your own books and publishing your own books and producing your own music and 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 selling your own art. Um I believe that our our young people today want to have a choice and a direct connection with the artists. Um but at the same time, you know, if if I'm going to stand here and speak it, I have to live it. So our entire household literally lives on faith. We quite literally live on faith, believing that we are doing exactly what we're meant to be doing, when we're meant to be doing it, and that that we will be provided for, and that when things go wrong, they're they're only wrong because we perceive them as wrong, and that they actually... That that is so true. Yeah, we... You sure we're not related? (laughs) Because I walk around (laughs) telling people that same We're born on the same day, man. I We're tell people the same day. thing. Yeah, it's just amazing that we think the same way, and that that is so true. Continue, please put that message in in, in all of your broadcasts, and and you can write a whole book around that. Just push it out there. So I many did. People, I did. They need to hear truth. that. <laughs> okay. Okay. She should probably send you a PDF of it. Okay. Good. And then I, and then I'm going to blast it on my page and get people to to dig into that because you know we we need to. Spread this message. You know, the world is sometimes it's, feels like it's getting worse, but we need to make it better. It does. It feels like it's getting worse sometimes, but I think that that's just this this recognition of the fact that things have changed and are changing on such a large scale that these last little remnants of how things used to be are really kicking up the fuss. You know what I mean? They're like, no, no, we won't go, but. Um, after doing this show for so long and talking to as many people as I've talked to, there are so many people out there working in different elements of our world, doing different things. I mean, everything from musicians to artists to authors to healers to teachers, guides, um, even the paranormal photographer who came on this week, and they all come on with this same core message that if you can dream it, you can be it. If you can believe it, you can see it. You know, I mean, it's not it's not about limitations. It's not about saying I can't do. It's about saying I can, I will, I am. It's about believing and having faith and holding on and 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 knowing that it's all good, it's all God, it doesn't matter, and just keep moving forward, keep taking the next step, keep believing right. in that you know I mean one of the best teachers I've ever had, honestly, and you'll get this more than any guest I think I've ever had on the show, oh, you'll get this was a homeless guy who lived in Toronto, and he actually found a way to make money. And even though he had a home and money, he continued to live on the streets because he was able, by living on the streets with the addicts, to get this message across. He was able to talk to them on their level, and so he stayed on the streets. That was the 
best teacher I've ever had was just an hour with this guy. And it was just because I, I, I stopped on the side of the road to give him some money. And I ended up talking to him and bringing him into the car and going for a drive. And he taught me so much in just a couple of hours about mm-hmm. about faith. And I've never met anybody as wise as that man. And yet he yeah. was a homeless guy on the side of the street. So this is why I say to people that you think you know. You walk around this world and you see people and you look at them and you see them in their situation, whether they be the guy with the yacht and the 10 penthouses in 10 different states or 10 different countries. You think you know. He might be the most depressed guy you've ever met who who right. doesn't have any sense of joy in life but then you go talk to the guy who's living on the corner the street corner and he is the freest soul you're ever going to meet and he has the most faith you'll ever experience and he will teach you more about belief and faith and hope than you will ever know so you think you know but you don't until you get down and dirty and start talking to people my goodness stop watching the world and start talking to people get involved Ask, yeah. you know, ask yeah, that how is, people uh, feel. That's hard part of my job. Uh, people always ask me, you know, Brian, isn't it tough being out there on the streets in the cold all the time? You know, the day this time with homeless people, you're in alleys where they're shooting up drugs and there's criminals everywhere. I mean, you all know that Detroit is like uh, crime central. Uh, I'm not afraid of that. That's not the hardest part of my job. The hardest part of my job is convincing people to open up their hearts, to take a different look, a different approach. Don't assume anything. You know, you see a guy in the corner holding a sign begging for food or he's annoying you when you're walking out of the grocery store for 25 cents. You know, look at that person first as a human being. That's the hardest part to teach people, you know, because they're, they're bitching and complaining. Oh, no, that guy's a bum. He's going to go buy more alcohol. Oh, he's strung out on drugs or the, the famous one. Uh, no, he deserves to be where he is because obviously he did something or didn't do something right in his life, so he deserves to be there. Oh, there's times I want to punch people when they say things like that. But normally, you know, as I catch myself and a calm face, and I'm like, I'm sorry, uh, do you know where that guy's been? Do you know how he got to where he is? No, I don't, and I don't care, and blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, do me a favor, and I'll give you money if you do this. That guy over there that you just ignored and maybe spit on him or gave him the finger or told him to get a job, I'll give you 20 bucks if you just go over there and spend 10 minutes and let him talk to you. Walk up to him and say, excuse me, sir, uh, I'm going to help you, but first tell me what happened to put you where you are right now today. And I can promise that person that they're either going to walk away in tears or they're going to walk away and walk away completely enlightened. You'd be surprised at how people get to where they are. Yeah. You yeah, know. and how smart people can be and how much talent they have. And it's like it's pretty sad that they're in the position that they're in. But it's for the for the most part, you know, and we've surveyed and I've talked to thousands of homeless people of all walks. Uh, uh, the, the same story from everyone. They all used to have what we call normal lives uh, on the right path. Things are going well. But what put them where they are, it's not always necessarily because they were on drugs or alcohol. That actually kept comes second. It was usually a medical problem that they couldn't afford to pay. Yep. Uh, for, some, for a lot of men, it was, you know, they were managers of companies and, you know, had two cars and a mortgage and family and kids. 
you know, the wife divorces him, divorces him and he's paying alimony and child support. Not a biggie. He can still survive. But then it all it takes is a small thing to happen. The car breaks down and he's short on money, he can't get the car fixed, therefore he doesn't get to work on time, then he's laid off, he's fired, and it's just a, it spirals out of control. And I hear these stories all the time. They make sense because, you know, the world is not set up for you to succeed easily, even though that's what America says, but it's not really true. And these guys fall through the cracks, and once that one thing happens that just cracks and breaks open everything, boom, he hits rock bottom. He has no place to live. He may still have the car, and he's still looking for a job, but once you get to a point where there's no place to shave and change your clothes, you really can't go get a job. Even though people look at, you know, what they call bums on the corner and say, hey, go get a job. I paid my taxes. You can get a job, too. Go to McDonald's. What they don't know is that that guy can't go to McDonald's and get a job because, first of all, it's totally illegal for McDonald's to hire you if you don't have a friggin' address. <laughs> People don't think. You cannot walk up to a homeless person and say, hey, go get a job. If you really talk to them, that's the first thing they're going to ask for. Hey, dude, you know, I'm, I'm Not to mention, that, blah, and here's blah, blah. something that. Here's something that people never freaking consider. A lot of these guys, especially nowadays, that are on the the side of the road, like you said, were at one time uber successful. They have an education. They have a history. They have a past. Okay, right. here's the problem. I've been in this situation. I have applied for jobs that did not hire me because I was overqualified dude on the corner of the street who used to be an executive who lost his job because his wife took him for everything he had because she was dumb and had an affair and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter why he's there. Point is, Mm -hmm. he can't go get a job because he's overqualified to get the job at McDonald's that he might be able to get because he looks semi-clean enough if he had an address that he could give them. But at the same time, he doesn't have the money to be able to get the suit on to be able to get into the office to get another job that he is qualified for. Yeah. And it's a and really that, sad situation. People yeah, don't and think. not just that. It's, there's also the telephone thing. Say, suppose you do have an address, and you do go on an interview. Well, most times they don't hire you on the spot. You're going to get a call back. Well, you need to be somewhere How are they going to call you phone. back? Right. You need to be somewhere with the phone. And if they say, well, come in right. for the second interview, transportation. They say, can you be here in an hour? And if you're taking the bus across town, you know, and, and this is how these guys get discouraged and the whole time they're living on the streets. And here's the other clincher that uh, people don't realize and they never, you know, research to find out. The drug abusers and uh, substance abusers, alcohols, uh, alcoholics and, you know, the crack guys and all that stuff. That usually happens while they're on the streets. And it happens on the streets because it, and society is really screwed up. And, and I say this from pure experience because I didn't have a clue either uh, until I posed as a homeless person and went out there for a couple weeks in Detroit. The whole time that I'm walking around in 10-degree weather, freezing my butt off, starving to death, no place to get warm, and I'm walking these streets, the people that did come in contact with me were the guys who were offering me drugs and alcohol. So that's when I realized this is how these guys get hooked on this stuff while you're in the streets. These drug dealers, and guys, they offer this to you because then you work mm-hmm. for them. I had one guy approach me, uh, and I'm freezing to death, and I was thinking he was going to walk up to me and say, hey, dude, man, get in the car and warm up. Or here, here's 20 bucks, man. Go in the coffee shop and, and have a sit. No, he pulled up and said, dude, I got this bag of weed here, man. Smoke as much as you want. Give the rest of these cats down at this other corner, and I'll give you 50 bucks. And next week, do the same thing. I'll give you another bag. You can make some money and get your ass off the streets. 
And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, these guys are offering me drugs, but no one's offering to help me. And that continued the two weeks that I was outside. And I put two and two together, and, you know, the majority of the clients, well, not the majority, but many of the clients that come to our office, you know, they claim they have a substance abuse problem or they've been in different programs. And when we talk to them and do their assessment and check their background and all, it's all the same story. They were not drug dealers when they were married. They were, I mean, they were not drug users or alcoholics when they were married or had their jobs uh, and had their children. It all happened when they were living on the streets, when they were in the shelters, bouncing from vacant house to vacant house, corner to corner. Uh, and a lot of times when you don't eat for a long time and you're freezing to death, you know, that whole thing that people think if you drink alcohol, it warms you up. It, really takes, doesn't. it but, takes the hunger away, though. The yeah. thing is, is that that's what I learned in the Philippines, talking to the street kids. Um yeah. Because it's not just here in America, of course. Um, certainly it's the same situation everywhere, that no matter where you live on the street, somebody with a, a solution to your problem is going to come along, and that solution is nine times out of ten going to be drugs and alcohol. In the Philippines and in other countries like that, they and I, probably in America as well, I wouldn't be surprised, probably in Canada as well, they sniff glue and use the cheapest drug they can find because it kills the appetite and it's much cheaper and easier to access the drugs yeah. and the chemicals than it is to actually find food. Right, and it, and it squashes all of the other other emotions of being homeless, Right, uh, which right. a lot of people totally. don't realize that when you're homeless, you know, people break you down emotionally. Just If you're standing on a corner and you see that 100 people walk by, and 99 of them don't even make eye contact with you, that's enough to make you want to do crack, you know, day in, day right. out. Here Absolutely. you are amongst other human beings, and they actually cross the street to avoid you, or they don't talk to you, or you go to extend your hand for help, and they don't reach back. You do that for a couple of days, and trust me, you, you want to drink. You want to drink. You can only be treated as... Uh, and a member who is outside of society, somebody who is inhuman, somebody who is below societal standards for so yeah. long before you start living it. Well, and, it's a situation you know, that's I mean, intolerable, it's, and you have to get out of it. And the only escape that is made available is the escape of drugs and alcohol. Right. And... And so it is. It's it's very often the case that they didn't have any such problem before they lost their job and there. And you just think these days how many people and because I, I know how much of my life I did it. Uh, you know, for almost forty five years, I often just lived from paycheck to paycheck. Had I missed one paycheck, there would be no place to live because right. it was that more if you had gotten sick. If you yeah. gotten sick. Yeah, fell and broke my leg and had to go to the hospital because didn't have right. health insurance. I was a bartender. Right. You know. That happened to me. I broke my back. I get it. I was screwed. If not for the grace of God and the grace of my family and friends and the people who've been in my life who've held me up, I would be on the street. And I'm yeah. telling you right now that I, I've spent so long talking to people about this because – I don't believe, I will never believe, I don't care who you are standing in front of me telling me that a thing is so, I will never believe that there is never hope for an individual, that there is never a point in their life, as long as they are breathing, where they cannot turn stuff around, where they cannot 
become who they are inside, where they cannot live the truth and the passion of their being. I simply refuse to accept that there is ever a point of no return in any individual's life. And I've lived it. I've written about it. I've talked to people about it. And I can't possibly fathom that people can walk around in this world, look at people and go, they'll never be okay. They're a hopeless case. They can't be fixed. They can't be helped. They can't be saved. As soon as that person decides to help themselves, they can be anything they want to be. And all it takes is a little faith. All it takes is somebody standing up and saying, I believe in you. Why can't you believe in yourself? I'd like to discuss that a little bit more with you, Jane. Um, And I hear what you're saying, and I used to feel the exact same way. I still do, kind of. Until I got my feet dirty and really got into this game of being a humanitarian and helping poverty-stricken and homeless people, uh, it runs very, very deep. So let's take the word hopelessness. Now, my whole experience and experiment of being homeless myself uh, or posing as a homeless person, and I did that on purpose before I started the organization because I wanted to know what it's really like so that I can design services and programs that actually work as opposed to getting right. a whole boardroom full of educated people and we come up with systems that we think would work, you know, based on of books. <laughs> so I wanted to get that experience. Absolutely. But uh, the only experience I couldn't truly gain from the two weeks that I was out there in the hardest hit city in America, the, the most crime, the most drugs, the coldest, you know, I thought I was gaining everything, but here's one thing I couldn't get, hopelessness. I couldn't get that because I knew when that whole experiment was over, I had a home to go to. So I talked to as many men as I could to to find out what is this hopelessness thing about? How do, how do you get there? And I didn't really learn that and what it meant until years later. Once I started my foundation, we opened offices in all over the city, and we're doing the intake and assessment where people come in, and they get to talk freely. Their first moment when they walk in, they set their appointment or they just walk in, when they sit down with us in, in our counseling room to tell us their story, we let them go wide open. You tell us everything you want to tell us. What we've learned from that, and, and I'm still trying to analyze whether this is a cultural thing or not. You know, I'm black, and what we're starting to see is amongst the, the black population uh, as a race and, and even in other cities in the United States, that the support, the family thing, is just not there. And it's really sad, and I'm really starting to analyze that that's what it really is. And what I mean by that is we get a lot of individuals, black individuals, men, women, families, kids, when they come in, and we're thinking to ourselves, and usually our question is, okay, you've you've been in the streets for a couple of months, Uh, your friends won't help you, most of your friends are alcoholics, they can't help you, where's your mom? Where are your cousins? Where are your friends? Where's your family? You're born here in Detroit. There's other people here related to you. Where are they? And almost the same answer from every single black client that we have is their family gives up on them easily, quickly, (laughs) and definitely. (laughs) You know, for sure. Oh, you're a bum? You're out of here. Don't call us. We're not helping you. We got our own stuff. You're not coming over here to mess up our stuff. And I swear that's really coming across as a cultural thing for, for black people. And these are individuals who will express that they are hopeless. They'll look right at us and say, 
Uh, yeah, you guys can't help me. No, you can't help me. Yeah, I want to do this. I want to live like this, but it won't happen because, look, there's no jobs in Detroit. There's no housing in Detroit. There's no money in Detroit. Uh, we got all this crime in Detroit. You know, I have no family in Detroit. There's no one to help me unless someone's going to just pick me up right now today, put me in a house someplace in another state, and give me a new family, a new friend, then I can make it. And until we heard enough right. of those stories, I started to understand what true hopelessness is about. And, and, and I, I get that. I, don't that. I get that. Um, and and because and you don't know my history, and you that, don't know my story. Well, but that's I the, get what you're saying because I've experienced hopelessness with regards to my, my health issues and my pain. I've, I've, I've curled up on my my bathroom floor and I beg God to take me home because I can't yeah. live another day. I get I get hopelessness, but what yeah, I'm but during, saying but during that, that, but imagine imagine that being in that situation with that pain, so excruciating that you know you beg God and all that. Um, imagine going through all of that and not having any family or friends. Yeah, but this is the thing. This is the thing that I'm trying to explain to you. There was nobody who could help me. There, I don't have. I don't. My parents are gone. I don't have the only the only thing the, there was no doctors who could help me. They I they were convinced that I was going to be in pain for the rest of my life. Oh boy. Um, so I that that's my story. That's my whole. I had to come to terms with I'm going to be in pain every day of my life for the rest of my life. What the hell am I going to do with that? That's hopelessness. That's helplessness. Yeah. But but my my thing here is is that what you offer. My friend, and this is the saving grace and the glory of God that I talk about. This is that blessing is that there are human beings out there who are reaching out to these people and, and their families might have abandoned them and their families might not believe in them to the point where they, can, they can't at the moment believe in themselves. But there is you and your organization and other organizations like you who will come in and teach them to believe in themselves again. That right. is the magic of our humanity and our planet yeah. and, and what human beings are to me. And that's why I say that I don't believe that there is not a soul out there who can't be redeemed. If just one person, one person can find it within themselves to believe and have faith that this person can succeed and get back on their feet and get healthy long enough for that person to believe that they can right. get healthy. And that's the thing. That's the key. It takes somebody else believing. And it doesn't have to be family. It doesn't have to be family. It wasn't family that saved me. It wasn't yeah. family that got me back on my feet. Yeah. Well, it, it could was, be friends or it could just be strangers who who believe what we believe, just, but in, in yeah. our particular area, and, and I'm really just trying to drill in on Detroit, is that people like myself, uh, there aren't many of us. So I almost feel like I'm doing this alone in Detroit, in the, in the southeast Michigan area, because other organizations, uh, another bulk of our clientele come from other organizations because those organizations don't help them. Why they don't help them? We can't figure it out because those organizations are funded by the government. They get millions of dollars a year. My organization, we're grassroots. I pay for everything. My music career <laughs> pays for what we're doing. And every person that works in my office, I have a staff of about 13 people. We're all volunteers. No one gets paid. And they work full time. 
and we're helping these people. And we we take time to try to reach out and find more people like us so the organization can grow and do better for the people of Detroit. But they don't exist. <laughs> they they truly don't exist. This whole cultural area where we are is like, wow. We well, need it, we need millions of dollars to really fix this, and you know, hence I have to push my music career, and we we can go way back in the conversation about the rich and famous thing. Well, I did post that on my Facebook one day. I just out of the blue, I just posted, I want to be rich and I want to be famous, and then under that I said I want to be rich so that I can pay for to help more people on a on a broader right. scale. I want to be famous because, if you notice, when a famous person says something, the word spreads. More people listen. Absolutely. You know, it's like everything that, that we're talking about now, and, Jane, the things that you say, and I say you should spread it to the world. Now, imagine if you were super-duper famous and you said that. You only have to say it once, and millions of people would get it. And because we're not famous, you know, we got to work harder to push the message. You know, it takes a lot of work. It but reminds here's the me thing, of and here. Here's the magic of that and the magic of what we do and the magic of the technology that we have. We don't need a network to make us famous, my friend. All we need is each other. We need a network of people like us. We need to support each other. We need to promote each other. We need to say, hey, this dude over there is doing this. And that's and why we do this show, so that we can tell right. the world that there's so many awesome human beings out there. Look at what they're doing. Support them. Back them up. Yeah. If you're one and of I them, totally, get your butt totally on our show. Understand it. I totally understand that. I'm, I'm behind that 100%. But I just recently, this, I got this thought because I've been working my butt off for Do Foundation and promoting grassroots style, the, the way you just spoke of. It's more gratifying in a way right. because you get to talk to face-to-face and you get to hit home with people directly as opposed to putting a blast out there and everyone gets it. Uh, Alicia Keys, I don't really follow her, but I just landed on her page on Facebook once, and uh, her post was, hey, guys, I'm supporting this cause of uh, some heart disease for kids or something like that. And it posted at at a certain time, and, like, I went back and checked 30 minutes later, and, like, a few million people have responded to that. She put a link in there saying, here, go to this site and donate and read about it. I went to that link, and I did the analysis or the analytics uh, on it. There's certain things you can see about a website. And I saw, like, half the world had been to the site, and they had raised, like, $16 $16 million in a half hour for this cause. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. And it's not because she's really that much down for the cause. It's because she's famous and she put the word out there. Right. That's the part of the fame that I want. I, I want that kind of popularity. Not the typical definition of what people think fame is, but enough where I can say something and people stop and say, oh, Brian O'Neill just said something. Let's listen. What's so, it, what did he say? So I can Almost make a people? difference, save some yeah. lives, change some lives, and help people. Right. And that's the only right. purpose to having fame, to having a public yeah. face, and but, to having money. Right. I agree. Right. That's that's my intention, not to be, you know, the, the glam and glitz. It's just I want to be able to say something, and, and my for that little effort of mine, it just spreads a little bit easier and faster so that I can continue doing it and get more people on, on the bandwagon sooner. Because, uh, I don't know, in this area, it just seems like we're almost running out of time. Detroit's really going down the hill, going downhill, and more and more people are suffering. We're getting more and more families in here. So, you know, I'm trying to think of solutions, and one of them was just a thought, wow, if I were famous, I can actually just hop on the news right now and just say, hey, folks, look, <laughs> we need to get it together. You need to do this. We need to do that. And just start listening to people, and let's help one another. Just some basic messages. 
and then we can start to grow. We can start to do better. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons that I focus so hard on on kids and this next generation and not shattering their dreams because it's it's just part of that road to, you know, oh, yeah, they just they belong over there. They are, It disrupts community. It disrupts. It, it You stay in community and you stay in love with the person that told you you could be anything, even if you figure out I'm not really cut out to play the guitar, but I love the piano or whatever. You know, right. it, it 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 makes a difference in the connection between people, regardless of what they go on to be or not be, or because you stayed connected to them instead of putting them in a little box of you know, oh yeah, that's one of those people that screwed up. So yeah, they belong on the street. Heck, we ought to just let them all starve to death. We'd be better. There'd be more jobs for the rest of us. And, and those. I just believe that those kind of statements can only come out of a, you know, a deep, uh, you know, defect in the way society has chosen to go, and particularly in education of the little ones. Because, you know, it's try to convince a two-year-old that there's something they can't do. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. You got to no. beat on people for a while before you get them into hopelessness. It takes work. It really yeah. does. You just look at the little kids. They really, you can't have that. Okay. They scan the room and they see another shiny thing and they're off. They don't care, right. you know. Right. And so it does. It takes a lot of beating it out of them. And it is that hopelessness and that lack of community. Because if you've got community, you can't really ever end up hopeless because there's somebody there that, you know, give you a hand, let you lean on their shoulder. Somebody. Right. Yep. Even even in communities where everybody's got a mother and a father and all of that, there's days that your parents are ticked off about whatever. Maybe something's, I don't know, the crops didn't come in right. Whatever. They're ticked off, right? And uh, somebody scratched their car at the grocery store, whatever. They're ticked off, so they don't have time for you today because they don't have time for themselves because they're all ticked off. But there's community. There was a, there was a net, a safety net, mm-hmm. an emotional safety net. And... Um, and for so many, just like living paycheck to paycheck and not having any sort of a financial safety net, that's to me is the, there's no emotional safety net for so many people. They've been walking a tightrope without a net for 15 years. You knock one leg of the chair out from underneath them, they're done. They're in the corner. They're they're down. So um, whatever it may be, that's kind of why I like this Do Foundation thing. Do something, people. If all yeah. you can manage to do is smile at somebody, do it. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. Yeah. It works wonders. And, spread that message. you know, the old American Indian, Native American, indigenous saying, I see you. There is tremendous power in I see you. Um, and it, 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 so don't sit there and think that's all, you know, I, there's nothing I can do. Because that's enough. That's what's missing. Yeah. Well, that's uh, more than enough. Just, just yeah. acknowledging that a, there's a fellow human being in front of you. And right. like you said, just simply from a, a smile, a glance, a wave. You know, a lot of these guys that are holding their hands out begging for a dollar, 
you know, again, I try to tell my general population that I come in contact with that, uh, you know, when you walk up to a guy that's begging for money and you say no, do you know he's actually part happy simply because you spoke to him by saying no, (laughs) by saying no, go away, I don't have any money. Uh, I've talked to these individuals and they say, dude, I'm just happy when someone just looks at me and says hello, even if they're saying no. Now, you know, when society gets that bad, and, you know, people are, are happy for someone to tell them, no, go away, uh, that's, that's a serious problem. That's what makes my job hard is convincing people that, you know, you need to speak, you need to make eye contact, wave, anything. That's yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. But, it, but it, it, it just, and it, it doesn't cost a thing. No. What, what do we got to do? Figure out how many calories you can burn by waving for 10 minutes? I don't know. Something, people. Give it a try. You'd be amazed. Yeah. You go, what are we going to do about all this crime and all this stuff and all this desperation and the world's going to hell in a handbasket? Smile at people. Wave at people. You'd be amazed. It is not. Yeah. It's just like this success being a complicated thing. Solving this problem will never be the next great government or non-governmental organization's program. It's, it, 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 uh, you know, to bridge between, you know, Gene saying, yes, everybody can, there's salvation for everybody. Yes, but this illness almost is a cultural misstep, you know. Yeah. Made with the and best culture of meaning human beings. Yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 this, this, this cultural thing of, you know, that's a homeless person. It's not a homeless person. That's Bob. Or George, or Dave, or Sally, right? Uh, and they got a story, and they'll probably break your heart. But irregardless, they could have a really cool story tomorrow. And you got that right. <laughs> and and so, let's check that out and worry less about what was their story last week and last month and all of that. Let's see what kind of cool story they can tell us next week. Right. And because uh, I'm with you, we need to find a, a filmmaker and get them up there and go out and make some films of these people, because uh, it is it's a it's a cultural shift and it's a it it it, it must shift with that culture of one. But uh, it's been awesome. You've you've certainly been playing on uh, on on Jane's uh, soapbox topics. Uh, <laughs> that's and, that's my Canadian you sister you're talking well, about. I love, I, I love Seriously, man. getting two passionate I, you know people what? going back and forth like that because it, it, it. I want to get you back on. I want to schedule you back on. I want to, I want to talk to you again. I want to get one of your, you know, organization members back on. I want to talk about how you got started doing this because we never even got into that. I want to. No, we didn't. I want to. I want to promote more. We only played about one out of three her. songs, for heaven's sakes. We only played one out of three songs. You know, so I want to get you back on and do this again because it's not just about what you do; it's about who you are, and that's the difference. You see, because a person can be big and famous and do great, wonderful things because they happen to have a couple million dollars to throw around, so they support this cause and that cause because it's the right, quote, unquote, thing to do. Mm. And then there's the guy who is absolutely driven by desire to lift up his brothers and sisters and to raise them up until they can stand on their own two feet. The guy that goes out on the street. 
the guy that goes out on the street because he doesn't want to do something right. stupid. He wants to do something that helps because sometimes right. these big celebrities, and bless their hearts, but sometimes sending an airplane load of soccer shoes is not really, you know, they can't eat the soccer <laughs> shoes. Okay? Right, yeah. And, and there's, Yeah, there's some of the dumbest things that they do out there, and I just kind of, I read about it, and I'm grateful that, you know, they're giving something to other people, but as as the CEO and founder of Do Foundation, who a guy who's been out there, talk to people, live among people, when you ask them, what is it that I can do or give you right now this moment to make your life better? But, you know, there's only like three or four different answers, and it's never money, it's never soccer shoes, it's never a new coat, it's never any of those things. You know, it's all one, it's always... The fact is, brother, you're sitting here talking to me. <laughs> you, you gave me that one already. That you're, you're taking the time out to talk to me. That has boosted my spirits enough to make me want to stand up right now and go over there and shake someone's hand, or you know, start to get my life back together. You know, and like I said, there's four or five things, and they're they're not what you think they are. And until these celebrities actually get out there and, and find out what that is, you know, they're not making much of an impact. You know, like I said, I'm grateful that they give something, but. Uh, you're right. We I do have to come back because I would love yeah. to explain explain some much deeper things and, of you know, in how the meanwhile we got here. for all of our celebrity friends, please uh, instead of sending the soccer shoes, just take however much that was gonna cost and send it to the Dew Foundation. Oh uh, wow, there you go. You can find that <laughs> at, at it's it's real easy to find. It's www.dofoundation, and it's D O as in do something. Correct. Uh, and actually let, let me let me tell you this, Rick. Actually the do o Really stands for Daisy O'Neill. It's that's my late grandmother. I yes, named it after cause, her because she saw you get mesmerized and bought you a piano and told you you could be whatever you wanted to be. Yeah, and uh, and that's what <laughs> Brian. We, I just love you. That's I what just, we all just, need to do for each other. That's <laughs> where it comes down to, people. If you mm-hmm. tell them they can do, be, do, and have anything. Yeah, you know yep. my goddaughter who came and eventually came and asked me. Her mother was very ill, and, you know, her family's fragmented, and she said, you know, will you be my godfather so that if something happens to mom? And and I was flabbergasted. But one of the first things I ever said to her, she was like 13. Uh, well, I knew her when she was two, and I said, I don't know what I said to her then, but when she was 13, is I, I, I said, you know, her mom said, talk to her. And I was like, oh, okay was, listen, there is nothing that you cannot be, do, and have. And don't let right. anybody tell you different, not even me. Including and, and, me. That's and, right. And, 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 you know, so really, you want to do something? Go do that. And then we'll yeah. talk. And we'll yeah. definitely talk uh, some more, Mr. O'Neill, because uh, awesome. I got an opening being. in June I got my eye on. I'm going to send the date to Kelly, and we're going to get you scheduled back in, because I can't wait to have you back on the show. I'm yeah. looking forward to that one, guys. Fun. Thank you, guys, so much. This has been uh, it's been great. You know, I'm talking to Canada and Houston at the same time. Technology. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick, you should awesome. consider uh, Rick. You should consider doing a little bit of stand up, my friend. You're a funny guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm... don't encourage him, man. Oh. <laughs> this whole whole radio thing doesn't work out, you know. And there's always the backup career. Oh yeah, exactly. Get a real job. <laughs> Get a job. Uh, All right. All right, bro. Awesome. It's been wonderful having you. Okay, we have 
We have, we yeah. have, we have More a calendar somewhere. Oh, my calendar's in June, that's why. Yeah, oh yeah, Sister Shauna. Wow. Um 200th episode. Sister daughter, Shauna Lee. Sister daughter, Shauna Lee, who's coming to Love. not only help us expand Everyday Connection and to take Everyday Connection on the roads so that we can actually take our camera out and talk to people on the streets. Um, and you know what? Brian has inspired me to not just talk to people who are on the buses who are in the zone, drag her butt out, and I'm find some of people in Montreal and talk to them too and get some, some people on the camera talking about how they got there and maybe we can help, um, you know, spread a little truth in that yeah. area that way. And I know Sean will be all over it. So oh, to yeah. keep your eyes open for that, guys, it's coming up on our YouTube channel. Um, it's going to be called Stranger Connections. It's going to be probably the most honest and raw, one of the most honest and raw things you're going to find on the Internet by one of the most upbeat and cutest, adorable little young women that you could find on the Internet. So keep your eyes open. <laughs> Tomorrow night you're going to be And behave her. yourself, you're gentlemen, because it's... The Phoenix Bird's sister daughter. She will. It's my sister daughter. She I will, will blow up your house. You up. Yeah. <laughs> she scares me, and I'm thousand fifteen hundred miles away. <clears throat> I will mess up. Um, seriously, this girl. Actually, I wouldn't need to. She is more than capable of taking care of herself. Okay, uh, super man. intelligent. Um, super connected. Super compassionate, and at the same time, able to disconnect long enough to go. What are you talking about? She is not going to sugarcoat stuff. That's why we're bringing her onto the team. She's not going to BS you. She's not going to make things look all butterfly and rainbows. Yeah, she's going to talk. About, she's going to talk truth. Um, and tomorrow night when she comes on, she's going to talk about her truth. She's going to talk about her journey and her experiences and her challenges because she's had her fair share, um, having gone through the whole shamanic yogic experience just recently. Um, she's People been, saying, you must be crazy. We're going to commit. Yeah, uh, she's mm, actually yeah, been that, admitted that. Because, of her, because of her perceptions. Ouch. And... Um, Oops, have we been cut off? I didn't, no, no, we're still here. <laughs> I punched the wrong button. Okay, cool. So, um, well, Rick's sticking around there on the other end because he's not used to being here on Wednesday night. Um, We're going to be on with her tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. And then next week, oh, the craziness just keeps coming. Yeah, because we're going to um, be on by Skype with her tomorrow, and, and then the very next yeah. day, you're going to, like, drive and go get her. I'm driving to go get her, to bring yep. her here, to build the art studio that... Um, and for Stranger gonna... Connections, and to run our board so that maybe I won't punch the wrong button at the wrong time, because I won't have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so <laughs> much coming up connection um and and shauna is a huge part of that including turning this amazing property that we've been gifted with into an artist retreat and and a place where people can go and create and and find that creator artist within themselves that allows them to heal and express and be whole um so and to keep 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 your eyes peeled for that as well because she Absolutely. she wants to document that journey as well. And that's going to that's be, gonna be that's a lot of fun. We have no earthly yeah, idea absolutely. where it's going to go, but that's why it's fun. 
no idea. That's we exactly it. We're, we don't plan the show. Spirit, spirit uh-huh. show. I don't know. Who's coming? I don't know. We know next week. So join us, join us tomorrow night. Help us celebrate our 200th episode. And welcome uh, Shauna to the family. And uh, until then. To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourselves. Because you're the ones that count. Really, you are. Stay connected. Good night, everybody. Good night, We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. next day. The big wireless companies sold you an outdated plan tied to long-term contracts and mystery fees. Simple Mobile's different. You get a lightning-fast 4G LTE nationwide network with no contract ever. And keep the phone and number you love. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone is compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. Standard text message and data rates may apply based on your mobile phone service. Please refer always to the privacy policy at simplemobile.com slash privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.